This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It totally changed my perspective of who God is, if you can even call it God. Welcome, everybody, to the Jeff Mara podcast. Today's guest is Amy Farrar. She's the author of the new book, A Jersey Girl's Guide to the Universe. She's here to talk with us about her new book, which is a coming-of-age memoir about her childhood in Grover's Mill, as well as her experiences with UFOs, ETs, and the paranormal. Amy, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate this. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this, too. Everybody, I want to let you know before we get started that Grover's Hill, New Jersey, is also known as the place where the Martians landed because it was the location Orson Welles picked as ground zero for the Martian invasion in his 1938 famous radio play of H.G. Wells' book, War of the Worlds. So we'll find out from Amy how much of this book takes place in New Jersey, if not all of it. All right, so Amy, you grew up where the Martians landed. Can you explain to us what was that like and what the connection was that between that and the real experiences you say you had with UFOs, ETs, and the paranormal. Sure. So so growing up in Grover's Mill, our town had this kind of collective pride in the whole alien thing because Orson Welles' broadcast in 1938 put us on the map, so to speak. Um, And one of the producers of the show picked Grover's Mill by putting on a blindfold and pointing a pencil at the map, supposedly. (laughs) So it was supposedly totally random. Wow. And then, so in 1938, when the broadcast happened, a lot of people didn't tune in early enough to hear that the broadcast was a retelling of H.G. Wells's book, The War of the Worlds. They thought there was a real Martian invasion going on. And a lot of people panicked. Later on, when everyone found out it was just a radio broadcast, Orson Welles and company got in a lot of trouble, and many of the people living in Grover's Mill had a lot of shame about the whole thing. In fact, I heard one guy even took a shot at the local water tower with his rifle, (laughs) Um, and they just kind of wanted to shove the whole thing under the rug. But by the time I was growing up in Grover's Mill in the 1970s and 80s, the Orson Welles broadcast had become part of the cultural history of Grover's Mill. And people really enjoyed talking about it. And I was there in October of 1988 when the town decided to commemorate the War of the Worlds broadcast. So there was a lot going on. There was a reenactment of the radio broadcast at McCarter Theater in Princeton that we went to. There was a parade in Grover's Mill that attracted thousands of people. There were appearances and speeches by the mayor, Governor Thomas Keene and Howard Koch, who wrote the script for the broadcast. I think he was in his late 80s by the time he appeared at the ceremony. And there was also the installation of a time capsule and bronze plaque in Van Ness Park across from the street, across the street from our house that depicts Orson Welles giving his broadcast underneath this tentacled flying saucer 
as a 1950s-style family listens anxiously to the broadcast as they gather around the radio. <laughs> so, and I remember that plaque. It kind of reminds me of, you know, in Star Wars where Han Solo's frozen in carbonite? Mm-hmm. That's what it kind of looks like. Oh, wow. Um, so it's become kind kind of this pop culture thing. But one thing Howard Koch said in his speech that I found to be really interesting was that he regretted depicting the aliens in the radio broadcast as hostile, adding that if anything bad were to happen, it would happen between humans, not humans and aliens. And I remember standing there that day in the crowd as he said this, just totally odd that someone like him would say something like that in public At the time, I had to wonder whether he himself had had some kind of experience to convince him that extraterrestrials weren't bad. This really stuck with me. And I knew on some level that a lot of people weren't making up their sightings and experiences. I didn't realize how ironic growing up in Grover's Mill was until much later in life, after a lot of really weird stuff started happening to me. Wow. Are there any military bases near there? Um, I don't know. It's strange that you would ask that because um, later on in life, I did live near um, a military base when I lived in Browns Mills, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. I don't think in central Jersey, just outside of Princeton, where we lived, I don't think there were any bases. I was just curious if, if that had anything to do with the alien stuff, but, you know, maybe not. It sounds like Grover's Mill is a little bit like Roswell, New Mexico. Have you been to Roswell? I don't think I've been to Roswell. I've been to New Mexico, but I haven't been specifically to Roswell. I would love to go there sometime. Yeah, it's a great town, and um, they really capitalize on the whole alien thing. Around the July 4th, they have like an alien festival and a parade and a and a big deal, yeah. you know, and there's alien shops up and, you know, gift shops up and down the street. And it sounds like Grover's Mill is a little bit like that. Like they kind of promote that old War of the Worlds radio play. Yeah, well, I think it took them a while to get to that point, but mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems to be where they're at with it now. Yeah, maybe they said, hey, Roswell's making a lot of money with this. Maybe we should get on it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. All right, so your book covers a lot of ground. You talk about growing up in an alcoholic family, your immigrant grandparents, moving to Minnesota to get out of the recession in New Jersey, uh, an abusive relationship, and then finding true love in Minnesota and settling down there with a new family. Can you explain why you felt this was necessary to talk about this stuff instead of just talking about, you know, UFOs and paranormal related stuff? Yeah, well, you're right. I do cover a lot of ground. And the reason for that is that this paranormal UFO related stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. There's a saying that a lot of this kind of thing happens in bloodlines, and it's so true. Hmm. Other people in my immediate and extended family have also had experiences with these things. Also, it seems like people who have experiences with the paranormal and with UFOs and ETs have often grown up or dealt with some kind of trauma. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying here that we're all crazy, mm-hmm. but at least for me, dealing with all the stuff made me more perceptive to the paranormal and otherworldly stuff. Mm-hmm. All the things I dealt with forced me to really go inward and fine tune what, what it was I really wanted in life and who I really was because the first half of my life was so difficult. I believe you're right about that. A lot of times 
people who have contact with aliens, it's also within their families as well. And mm-hmm. you'd mentioned in your book about, you know, growing up in an alcoholic family. Do you think alcoholism in your family is due to alien contact? That's a good question because in my family, the alcoholic was my mom Mm -hmm. and she never really said anything about having had experiences like that. However, she was very psychic. In fact, there was never anything that we could hide from her. Mm -hmm. It was almost like, you know, if we decided that we were going to do something behind her back, she would know exactly what we were doing and where we were and when it was happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and she also was clairaudient, like I am. What does that mean, clairaudient? Clairaudience is when you can hear things from the other side. Okay. So instead of seeing a ghost, you, you'll you be able to hear one. Okay, that's interesting. I think you may saw my um, podcast with Ray Hernandez that ghosts or orbs or entities maybe, or even ETs, maybe just beings from another dimension contacting us. I don't know about with my mom or not. Um, I mean, it's possible, but I, you know, the other reason that I included all those things in my book is that I wanted to talk about what it's like being an empath um, because as an empath, um, you can tell what other people are thinking or feeling and it's not an easy road to be on, but it did make me especially sensitive to things other people couldn't see, hear, or feel. Mm-hmm. So that was a big part of the reason that I included all of that in the book. Okay. So let's talk about some of the experiences you had in the book. Well, there are a lot. Well, that's <laughs> there are we a like. lot. That's um, what we like to talk about. Paranormal, ETs, NDEs. Mm-hmm. Well, they started when I was really young, Mm -hmm. but the ones that stick out in my mind the most are the ones that happened when I was a teenager. So, um, for example, one day I was standing in the bathroom with my sister, Sue, and we were standing over this counter and Sue was struggling to put in a really big ceramic earring. It was the 1980s. So this earring was like this big Mm -hmm. and she dropped it. And as it fell, we literally both saw it vanish into the air. Hmm. Um, (laughs) We looked for it everywhere, but we never found it. This earring was something like two inches across. It wasn't something that would be hard to locate if it fell in a drawer or on the ground. Well, we never found it. And really weird things like that would happen whenever I was around my sister, Sue, It was like we created some interdimensional door between us whenever we were physically together. Mm -hmm. And then in another incident, I was coming home from a date one very late night with my boyfriend at the time. We were sitting in the car just about ready to go inside when both of us heard this creepy disembodied male voice whisper my name very loudly. Mm. We both jumped and we looked at each other with these really wide eyes The voice didn't sound like anyone we knew. My boyfriend was so freaked out, he got out of the car, walked around it, and even looked under it, but the street was deserted. This is just one example of the clairaudience I have that often carries over so other people can also hear what I hear when they're around me. It's like I'm some kind of antenna that picks things up and brings them out. And this has also happened around my husband and daughter. Is it still happening today? Yeah. 
Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things happen all the time. And it's kind of to the point where I don't really get scared or freaked out anymore because I'm kind of used to it, honestly. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Um, hmm. you know, in another example, um, I had an out-of-body experience when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I was at this this Chinese restaurant with a friend and I started feeling nauseous and crampy. And I thought I just needed some air, so I stepped outside. But as soon as I as soon as I stepped outside, it seemed like these dark clouds were rolling in. And what was really happening was I was passing out. But what mm. would ha- what happened next kind of changed my life forever because suddenly it felt like chains had fallen off my entire body and I was floating upward. I remember feeling so good to be free of all the pain I was in, mm-hmm. then excited to realize that I had been fl- that I was flying. I realized I was no longer in my body and that the pain that I felt was just the physical discomfort of being alive, mm-hmm. not just the physical discomfort I had been in moments before. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible to just feel completely limitless. I also felt relieved as it dawned on me that when we die, our souls go on to some other form of existence. I felt no fear at all as I began blissfully floating through this tunnel toward a bright light. You know, it's kind of that Mm -hmm. stereotypical experience you hear about a lot. Mm -hmm. And I felt a lot of my departed relatives around me, including my grandparents. And I also sensed what, what seemed to be guardian angels and other light beings. I was surrounded by pure, unadulterated joy, love, and peace as these beings told me that no matter what had happened up until that point, I was being cared for and looked after. Then as I got closer to the white light at the end of the tunnel, I sensed a divine presence that I knew to be the creative source of everything that existed in the universe. God seemed like too simple of a word to describe this universal cosmic presence Mm -hmm. that filled me with such unconditional love and not only did I feel love coming from the source, but I felt completely at one with it as if I had no ego. And then as I got closer to the light, I was told it wasn't the right time for me to go into it, that I still had work to do in the world. I wasn't very happy knowing that I would once again have to experience being physical. I was plunged back into darkness as I moved away from the light back the way I had come. Then it was as if I was swimming to the surface of a dark, murky lake, and I woke up. So despite the fact that I had blacked out, I was filled with all this excitement. In the ambulance, there was one of my neighbors. She was an EMT, and I was babbling on about this experience. And she said that she told me she had heard this so many times she couldn't even count. And I'm looking up at her thinking, oh, that's weird. You know, I had this awesome experience and she's telling me it's just common. Hmm. And and then at the hospital, they thought that I had passed out from um, an allergic reaction to MSG, hmm. which is monosodium glutamate. Um, and they sent me home and my parents made me rest and and I didn't feel like resting. I kept trying to tell everybody that what had happened to me was this great thing. And everyone just kept looking at me like I had three heads. And, you know, after a while, you stop talking about it because other people can't possibly understand what you've gone through. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that experience completely changed the way I view life and death. And 
I knew that death wasn't the end of our existence and I was so much less afraid of it. And I had absolutely no doubt that there was this creative sentient force responsible for all life in the universe. And this experience also seemed to open a door in my life that left me with one foot standing on firm ground and the other foot in some other dimension. Because after that, the powers that be began presenting me with all manner of unusual experiences. It was like I had tapped into something truly extraordinary and mystical. Can we backtrack a little bit? I wasn't exactly clear how you passed out. Did you say you passed out in the restaurant or you were walking out to your car and passed out? I was, I was walking out to my car. I thought that I just needed to get some fresh air. And uh-huh. um, I was in the process of blacking out when that happened. Oh, that's interesting. You just went down. Do you know how long you were blacked out for? Like whoever was there with you, <laughs> they did they say you were out for you know an hour or 10 minutes? or? It- it was less than a minute, Jeff, but wow. it felt like a couple of hours to me. It mm. was really, <laughs> really baffling from that perspective, for sure. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. That's very interesting, especially because I think, you know, when you enter another dimension like that, time doesn't exist anymore. So stuff like that can happen. All right. Yeah, I can definitely understand you know, or I can visualize where people that have passed on when they finally get to meet someone that's lived out their whole life and crossed over, it probably seems like no amount of time has passed to them mm-hmm. where it's been like, you know, 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. I love the way that you put it, that when you were describing the creator, God was like a too simple of a word for that. Yeah. I mean, it totally changed my perspective of who God is, if Mm -hmm. you can even call it God. I mean, Mm -hmm. I grew up in a Lutheran home and I never really bought into the concept of God being an old guy with a beard sitting on a throne. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, I sort of, I sort of feel like we're all part of God now. That's how the experience made me feel like, like we're not really as separate as we think we are. Mm Mm-hmm. It sounds like also that after this happened, you've kind of pierced the veil or opened up a way into another dimension that um, it's easier to get into that dimension or you have more stuff going on. Is that true? It's definitely true. Yeah, because stuff happened before that, but not like, you know, nothing like what what happened afterwards. Mm -hmm. What age were you at that time? 17. 17. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you say in your book that more started happening after you got married a second time and you had your daughter. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, a lot more did happen after that. Um, So, for instance, one time when I was down in the basement doing laundry, my daughter, Emma, I don't know, she was about two years old and she was upstairs in the high chair in the kitchen. And as I started up the stairs, I hear I hear her giggling to the sound of a man's voice. And I thought that my husband, Paul, had come home from work early. But as I headed up the stairs, I heard the unmistakable voice of my father, who had passed away when I was in my early 20s. Hmm. And when I got back into the kitchen, I asked Emma if she had been talking to her grandfather, whom she had never met. And she said yes. She was still giggling. And I asked her if she had been, if he had been tickling her and she said, yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know many two-year-olds who would lie about something like that. So, um, and then another time we were taking a vacation on the Gunflint Trail in Northern Minnesota, where we were staying in a hundred-year-old cabin. Paul and I were sleeping in the main room of the cabin and Emma was sleeping in this little bedroom off to the side. And I think at this point she was six or seven. And one night she comes running into our room and she tells us that she keeps hearing weird noises like an animal scratching or shuffling around. And I figured, oh, she's just scared to be in an unfamiliar place, right? Mm -hmm. So I switch places with her and sleep in her room. And around three in the morning, I wake up and the room is freezing cold and this strange woman is whispering in my ear. <laughs> oh, wow. um, now that was pretty terrifying. I felt an unmistakable presence standing right next to me and I was overwhelmed with fear and I turned the light on and of course there's nothing there. So clearly Emma had inherited my clear also got the clairaudience gene because she can hear things now. Um, and the next day we find out that the resort had burned down several times and a woman had indeed died in that cabin that we had stayed in. Mm -hmm. And um, I told the woman after that to just go to the light, mm -hmm. <laughs> another cliche, but I, that's what I told her and to please stop bothering our daughter. And we didn't hear anything after that. Interesting. When she was whispering to you, do you remember what she said? I don't. It was oh. just kind of just this vague whispering. And I wish I had remembered what she was trying to tell me. You know, I wish that I had been able to tell if she was trying to tell me something specific or just was trying to freak me out. I'll probably mm -hmm. never know. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe it could have been even that maybe she was warning you like she still because I think you said there was a fire. Mm -hmm. Maybe she's still in the yeah, maybe. In, in some type of you know belief that the fire is still happening and stuck. That's there. possible. You, you yeah, know what I mean? like hey, right. You better get out. Well, hoping that I freed her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm hoping I freed her because mm -hmm. um, they say that if there's a ghost in your house or whatever, you need to tell it to go to the light because a lot of spirits that have passed on, I don't just don't think they get it that yeah. they can leave. Yeah, I agree with that. Can you count how many times in your life you've either had some type of paranormal experience, whether it's clairaudience or seeing ghosts or ETs? I mean, has it happened like hundreds of times? Uh, I wouldn't say that frequently. I would say maybe I've had two dozen experiences or so. Okay. They keep happening. Something happened this past weekend, actually. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you want to hear you want to hear about that. Sure. What happened? Um, I wanted to try having a seance. I've never done that. It, okay. it always kind of made me nervous, but I decided I was going to go ahead and try it. What is your definition of a seance? Talking to spirits who have passed on. Okay. I'm not a big believer in Ouija boards because I've had some really bad experiences with Ouija boards yeah. in the past. So I said to, there were a couple people with me and I said, we're not going to do a Ouija board. We're just going to have a pendulum. I'm going to sage this area really good. And we're going to invite, you know, ahead of time, we're going to invite people that we know that have passed on who would maybe like to communicate with us. And it went really well. 
And at the very end of it, we decided, well, my daughter decided she was going to ask the Native American spirits that were on this land before us if they were still here. And when we asked them that question, the pendulum went to the right, which Mm -hmm. means yes. So and the funny thing about that is that when I first moved into this house, I kept dreaming about this Native American guy. And I just kept dreaming about him over and over and over again. And finally, I realized that he's someone that lived here before, you know, there were European settlers. Mm -hmm. And um, in fact, Mound, the, the city that we live in, it's named after the burial mounds of the Native Americans who lived in this area. So is that the way that you did your your seance was that you would just basically ask yes and no questions and see which way the pendulum would swing? Yeah, that's how we did it. Have mm. you ever done one? I don't remember if I have or not. I just, I feel like I want to say yes, but if I had, it's been so long, probably 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I just can't remember. I feel like it went well and I feel like it was a positive experience, which is good because... I think if you don't do it right, you can really attract a lot of negative stuff. Right. And, you know, and you said of the Ouija board, I think the Ouija board freaks out a lot of people because they have some bad experiences <laughs> with that. Yeah. I mean, we had a Ouija board in our house one time at Halloween time. We we do these Halloween parties, well, pre-COVID anyway. Mm-hmm. And we had a Ouija board out just as kind of a, a prop. Mm-hmm. And I was telling the kids a story, a ghost story. And I was sitting in one of those glider rocking chairs that typically don't move because they're very well planted on the ground. I went right over in it, like right where I'm sitting right now. So we don't have Ouija boards in the house anymore. (laughs) I don't blame you. All right. Well, let's move on to your experiences with UFOs and ETs. When did that start happening? That started after we had our daughter. Okay. Um, in 2007. So Emma was about three at the time. And we were all asleep when I was woken up by this strange noise. I have to preface what I'm about to say by by saying that I have always been a really light sleeper. I so I use a noise machine and earplugs and I sometimes use a light blocking eye mask. I've got it all, (laughs) you know, going on because I wake up at the slightest thing. Um, And at first, when I heard the noise, I thought it was someone's alarm clock that had gone off by accident or the squeal of someone's brakes outside as they drove down the street. It was quite loud to me. So I sat up and took my earplugs out and I turned off the noise machine. And by this time, I realized that the noise was more of a fast pitch whirring sound, like something spinning really fast. And then I realized it was emanating from above the house. Mm-hmm. So, and there also seemed to be a strange green light seeping into the room. And when I realized this, I kind of looked incredulously at my husband, who was still fast asleep. Then I knew right down to every cell in my body what the sound was. It was a ship over mm-hmm. the house. Mm-hmm. And I was filled with a mixture of terror and awe, unlike anything I've ever experienced. I sensed the presence of three or four other beings in the room. And although I couldn't see them, in my mind, the images of the gray aliens filled my head, and I knew it was them. 
Although the image in my mind was of the taller grays, not the short ones so often described by other experiencers. Just as I realized this, suddenly I found myself lying back down again as if I'd been forced back onto the bed, unable to move. I had the sensation of being scanned for some sort of information. All I could think about was Emma and how I wanted to protect her. I remember telling the beings in my mind that if they ever went near my daughter, I would never cooperate with them again. That thought alone was odd to me because I couldn't recall ever having had any other experiences like that that I could recall. And then as the minutes ticked by, I realized they were just looking for information and didn't intend to harm me. When I realized this, I was afraid. I wasn't afraid of them anymore. I was just kind of fascinated. And then during the experience, a book I had just written about global warming kept going through my mind. It was as if they were scanning me to see what I knew about it, or it was something they were really concerned about. I'm sure if beings from other planets know about what's happening to Earth, they must be very concerned. And then they were gone. So, you know, I sat up, my heart was pounding in my chest, the house was quiet and the green light was gone. I went to check on Emma, who was sleeping soundly in her bed. I was tempted to wake Paul, but realized telling him about it in the middle of the night wouldn't really accomplish anything other than waking him. And he would probably think I was, you know, he would probably think it was just a dream anyway. So I knew they were gone for the rest of the night, and I wasn't panicked that they would come back. Um, And what good would panicking do anyway if they could get into the house whenever they wanted, even if it was all locked up? Um, What I did know was that, you know, I had nothing to prove what had just occurred inside our home. So waking the rest of the house wasn't going to accomplish anything or make anyone believe me. I think part of my unnatural calmness about it all was also that small part of my brain that just couldn't make sense of it all. The part of me that wanted to believe I had just dreamed it all, but I knew that wasn't the case. So it was a pretty amazing experience. I did tell my husband about it the next morning and he was supportive, but I'm not sure if he really believed me. Mm -hmm. I think that the time that all that time that he had been around me was long enough that he knew that something like that could be true because of all the other anomalous things he had witnessed around me. So I consider myself very, very lucky to be married to someone who's open-minded enough to admit that it could have happened. (laughs) I've heard of a lot of marriages ending over the same thing. Um, Still over the next few weeks and months, it it was difficult to carry on as usual, knowing what had happened to me. I wondered if it would happen again, and I was filled with both dread and excitement over the possibility. Hmm. Um, You know, and as a side note, um, later on, I was reading about abductions, and somewhere I stumbled across some information that somebody was speculating that some extraterrestrials that visit people's bedrooms might in fact be visiting via holograms or projections of some kind. And this makes a lot of sense to me because I don't remember seeing the beings, but I sense they were there. Also, if you think about it from a purely biological standpoint, I'm sure they're concerned about viruses and bacteria. I always wonder, you know, if they're really abducting people, how they get around that. Yeah, I'm not sure. All right, let me catch a comment and a question here. 
The comment is, you are such a lovely and beautiful lady. Thank you for your story. And the question... And the question is, do you think we should be afraid of aliens? Are they a concern for us? If they, you know, should we be concerned about them if they do ever come back and visit us? You know something, my overwhelming answer to that is no. Um, I do believe that there are good aliens and bad aliens, just like there are good people and bad people. I think it would be unrealistic to think that all other life in the universe is going to be one big happy family. (laughs) Um, But, you know, on an intuitive level, if you're asking about how I feel about this on an intuitive level, I really think that we don't have anything to be afraid of, Um, you know, and also from the perspective of just everything that's happened since Roswell on, I think if they really wanted to hurt us, they would have by now. Mm-hmm. I really do. I mean, if they were, if most of them were evil, why would they, why would they come here and not harm us? Yeah. So I don't, I don't think, I, I think the answer is no. I think, I don't think we have anything to be afraid of. Right. Have you had any other contact with ETs? Well, um, I've had a lot of different experiences seeing UFOs, hmm. um, in our, you know, after this in our day-to-day lives, everything went along as usual until the summer of 2016, when normal reality sort of once again took a hike. Um, so the three of us, my husband, my daughter, and I were coming home from seeing a movie one summer night when Emma said excitedly, look over there, over the lake. We looked and we saw a strange light hovering over Lake Minnetonka. It had blue, green, and red lights clustered around some central structure, and it was just parked over the water, not moving. Hmm. We pulled over and gaped at it. At first, we were all really fascinated as we sat there staring at it, but then the reality of what it was struck us at the same time. And just as I felt fear seeping into me, the strange craft suddenly dove straight into the water at an incredible rate of speed, like it knew we were afraid. We were pretty sure we had just seen a UFO take a dive into the lake. So that was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, And that something about the three of us being together was accelerating the number and kinds of paranormal and otherworldly experiences we were having. It definitely made me feel as if we were all meant to be together. That's interesting. So, you know, fast forward, fast forward a few more years. We were, um, we were all at this restaurant and Emma and I were sitting at this little bar facing a window and Paul was getting us some drinks. And I was staring at the menu when I felt Emma tap me really hard on the arm. And I was just about to reprimand her for slapping me, you know, like a parent would. Mm. When I followed her pointed finger up to the sky and there just over the tree line was this large triangular shaped craft with bright blue, red and green lights gliding just over us. There wasn't time to tell my husband, so he didn't see it, but it was way too large to be a simple drone. I mean, from our perspective, it was about the size of a car. The two of us had just seen a triangle UFO up close and personal 
And later I realized it had the same color lights as the other UFO we'd seen over the lake. I wish I had taken a picture of it with my phone, but like a lot of other people who see UFOs, you're so dumbstruck by what you're seeing that you don't even think to take your phone out. And I'm getting better at that. Um, So I'm hoping that, you know, the next time it happens, I'll have the presence of mind to take a picture. Hmm. Um, You know, in terms of, in terms of personal experiences, not, not like the bedroom experience, but with UFOs, definitely. Either the UFO over the lake or the other one that you saw through the window, did either one of them make noise or were they silent? Silent. But I mean, the first one we were sitting in a car and the second one we were inside a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So it'd be hard to tell if Mm -hmm. they made any noise. Um, You know, we did have a really unusual experience on Christmas Eve in 2017, if you want to hear about it. I do, but did you hear the okay. noise of the UFO go splashing in the water when it went into the lake? No, it was too far away for us to have heard anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and afterwards I was I spent a huge amount of time trying to figure out online what a drone would look like in mm-hmm. comparison to what we looked at, what we what we were seeing. Mm-hmm. And um you know, I never got an answer to that. I don't think that a drone can dive right into a lake like that. No. And um, as far as I know, I don't think there are drones that are the size of a car. Right. <laughs> that would be an expensive drone for someone to have. Right. And I don't know, you know, if you're talking about military drones, they kind of look more like airplanes. And if you're talking right. about what the kids play with or people use for photography those are not very big. I mean, those are like, you know, at the biggest, maybe two feet by two feet. Right. And maybe if somebody had one, they just, they would probably be upset because they just lost it in the lake. They crashed it and it's gone. Right. (laughs) Right. They just lost a thousand dollars. Yeah. I mean, I, there's always a possibility that could have been a drone, but the triangular shaped craft, I mean, Mm -hmm. that was definitely a UFO of some sort. Yeah, I would agree. So you were saying something else happened to you in 2017? Oh, so um, on Christmas Eve of 2017, um, the three of us were just doing what normal families do on Christmas Eve. We were cooking and playing video games and reading and opening a gift or two. The house felt really beautiful and cozy with our Christmas tree and the garland and lights. But outside, the weather was really horrible. The rain was coating everything with a slick layer of ice making travel impossible and high winds were howling. So when the electricity went out for a few hours, none of us were really surprised. As it happened that day, Paul had been making candles in the kitchen. So we lit a bunch of them and made a fire in the wood stove in our living room. The electricity went back on after a few hours, but when it went off again, after about an hour later that evening, that's when things started getting really weird Um, So instead of going on steadily, the electricity began flickering on and off for quite a long time. So then we looked outside and the entire night sky was covered in red clouds and the sky was flickering in time with the electrical pulses inside the house. The hair on the back of our necks just stood up as we stared into those clouds And all three of us felt this undeniable presence behind them. 
And this went on for a good long while. I would say we were looking at it for about a half an hour when finally we closed the window and just decided to go to bed because <laughs> it didn't seem to be going away. And it turned out that we hadn't been the only ones to see that phenomena in the sky that night, mm -hmm. because the next day and into the coming weeks, many people in our area speculated as to what the red lights in the sky could have been on a site called next door, mm -hmm. where you can find out what's going on in your area and connect with your neighbors. Mm -hmm. One person said that a power line had gone down, but I don't see how one power line could affect what people were seeing within a five mile radius. Because some of the people on next door who saw it were about five miles from us. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I was looking around online and I found out that a lot of people in Minnesota had seen red orbs in the sky on Christmas Eve. Then I talked to my sister Sue on New Year's Day. Of course, Sue has to fa factor into this. Um, New Year's Eve, she and some friends of hers had gone out into the desert in Nevada to look at the sky and they had seen an entire formation of red orbs in the shape of the big dipper. Hmm. And that report was filed on the national UFO reporting website. Oh, so I didn't feel like we were making it up or like it was just a down power line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, my first thought was maybe it was a transformer blown somewhere, but for it to go five miles is quite a long ways. Right. It was. Yeah. And, and for all those people to have seen it, so I don't know. It was, it was pretty wild. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you feel that most of your paranormal experiences happened in New Jersey or in Minnesota? Um, I would say from a paranormal standpoint, about half of them happened in New Jersey, but the UFO stuff, you know, despite growing up in Grover's Mill, <laughs> the UFO stuff didn't start happening until I moved to Minnesota, which is kind of weird in and of itself, because you just don't think of Minnesota as a UFO hotspot, so to speak. But, um, you know, I've seen other things on Nextdoor where people see lights parked over the lake all the time. And this one family, they... They say they see it almost every night, Ooh, wow, these lights parked over, over the lake. So I do think that there's, it has something to do with water. I think that some of these crafts can go underwater. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've seen the recent UFO that the Navy released and one of them, I believe, goes underwater. Is it the Tic Tac UFO? Case is that the one you're talking uh, about? I don't know if that's the name of it. I'm not even sure of the name of it, but you know, you're watching it. I think on a radar and some kind of like uh, infrared kind of radar, and you and they said it dropped from really high to really low, or one of them. They were just watching it fly over the ocean, and all of a sudden, it dipped underwater. I think it happened. That's in two, yeah, I think it happened in 2014, but they released it not too long ago. I'm sure if you Google it, it's mm -hmm. you know, it's pretty easy to find. So if well, that's true, then it's, I see no reason why not your, you know, the UFO that people are seeing up in your neck of the woods isn't dipping under the water as well. Right, exactly. And a lot of your listeners may or may not know about that um, major disclosure in September of 2017 with the New York Times article. You uh, know, you know what I'm, I'm talking I'm about? I'm not sure about that. Can you, can you tell us about that? 
Well, um, in 2017, the New York Times came out with an article on UFOs and extraterrestrials in the United States. Uh, up until that time, almost everything that had ever been reported on UFOs and extraterrestrials in major media outlets was presented as being an alleged instance that couldn't be proven. And I think the article was entitled Glowing Auras and Black Money, the Pentagon's Mysterious UFO Program. The article described how the U.S. Defense Department spent $22 million on what they called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program that until that moment, no one even knew existed. Hmm. So that program, which was in existence between 2007 and 2012, was run by a military intelligence official who resigned in October of 2017 to protest what he called the excessive internal opposition and secrecy surrounding the program. And the Senate majority leader at the time, Harry Reid, who had an interest in the subject, requested that the program be created. And most of the funding for that program went to Mr. Reid's friend, Robert Bigelow, And despite Bigelow's public insistence that he believes extraterrestrials exist and are living on Earth in secret, the details of what he's doing with this program have been kept a secret. And what blew me away about this all were three things. The first was that it was reported in the New York Times, a major national newspaper. The second was that the United States government admitted to spending $22 million in taxpayer money on investigating UFOs. Mm -hmm. And the third thing was that most of the general public said nothing in response to the article. So, you know, did most people choose to disbelieve it? So, I mean, the question now is why is the government admitting it now after years of denial? I mean, is there so much evidence that, and, and so many reports that the government can't deny it anymore? Um, I mean, is this the beginning of public disclosure? Is something big big about to happen? Mm -hmm. Those are my questions. That article really made me want to get my book finished. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you make some really good points. I mean, one, it appears that more stuff is being disclosed and released. And two, it seems like the general public just has an overall general disbelief, you know? Maybe the public just needs to, you know, see a UFO land on the White House lawn or something because it's got to be almost to like, I don't believe it till I see it. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. I know some people believe that, um, you know, the lights that we see in the sky aren't aliens, that they could be other entities. And Mm -hmm. I know that's possible from what, but from what I've seen, I mean, the craft going over the restaurant was triangular in shape and i don't think most entities are triangular shaped with with lights on the edges yeah that would seem like a weird configuration for a living being mm-hmm. yeah no i don't think that's a being i think that's a craft and and triangular shaped crafts right. seem to be pretty common All right, exactly so when did you just publish your book how long has it been out my book has been out about three weeks now oh, so great. it's new that's awesome it, how long how long did it take you to write it? Honestly, it took me three years to write my book. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You know, the process was very challenging. Um, I've written a lot of things. I've written a lot of nonfiction books. I've written articles for magazines and newspapers. But for some reason, writing about my own life was just more challenging because you're letting the whole world know what's happened to you. And you have to think about not only the personal stuff, but the paranormal and the stuff with extraterrestrials, you know, there's no more hiding it anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. Right. You know, I have my own business. I have a writing and editing business and, you know, there were doubts and thoughts and do I really want to do this? And um, the other reason it took so long is that I'm also, I also do a lot of editorial work and I just kept editing it. I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be absolutely perfect Um, And I was trying to make it timeless so that if people decide that they're going to read it 10 years from now, it didn't seem outdated. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of stuff going into that. There was a lot, a lot more thought that had to go into this book, I feel, than with a lot of other things I've written. Mm. All right. Where can we find your book? Um, It is available on Amazon.com and it's available as both a paperback and a digital copy okay can you also get it on kindle yes it is the digital copy is a kindle amazon has an entire kindle create platform which is where independent authors can publish their work okay all right do you have a website or a facebook page or something like that if people want to contact you or know more about you Sure. Um, my website is www.writeandedit.net. Mm-hmm. And if you go to Facebook, you can find, if you Google Farrar, I mean, if you type in Farrar Writing and Editing, F-A-R-R-A-R, you'll find my Facebook business page. Now that you got the book out, do you have any other projects that you're working on, like a second book or anything else? Um, not yet. I'm kind of wanting to take a little bit of a break here because it was, you know, in addition to the hard work of writing and editing this book, when you self-publish, well, not always, but at least for me, I had to kind of learn how to lay the book out myself. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was a lot of work and I'm just kind of taking a little breather here before I move on to my next project. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, before we wrap it up, do you have one last message that you can leave with the audience? I guess one of my big messages is not to be afraid of paranormal or UFO related things, because I I really think that people are spiritual beings and we've been taught and programmed to not really pay much attention to that side of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we did pay more attention to it and we would become more comfortable with it. And then when things like these happen, it wouldn't be such a frightening experience. You know, I, I think that um, medit for me, meditation helps me get in touch with that side of myself more. And I really think that things like Claire audience and um, being able to communicate with people on the other side they're natural talents and gifts that we have and abilities, but they've just been shut down by not using them for mm-hmm. most of our lives. So, I mean, I guess that's the main thing was that, you know, when the, all of this started happening for me, I had a lot of fear 
And um, I've learned to try to, I've learned to kind of get over that over time because I've, I've come to realize that there really is nothing to fear. All right. I have two more questions before I go here. One, when you had the out-of-body experience, do you feel it was an out-of-body experience or a near-death experience? Boy, you know, that's, I really don't think it was a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. I think that it's possible that I could have had an allergic reaction to MSG because I do have some food allergies. And I think that when people have physical stress of some sort, that can kind of lead to an out-of-body experience. It, it can kind of be how your spirit deals with it. And that's what I think happened hmm. that makes for sense. me. And the second question is, as you say you're Claire audience, when you hear voices, is it just like implanted in your mind? Or when you hear a voice, do you hear the voice with your voice? Or do you hear the voice as someone else's voice? Like if a woman's talking to you, do you hear a female voice? When a man's talking, do you hear a man's voice or does it always come in through like your own thoughts? No, I hear whoever's voice it is. And for some reason, when people are around me, they can hear it too. That's very So I don't know why that is. I've kind of never heard of that before. I don't know if I'm the only one that that happens to, mm -hmm. but it's happened to me a few times where other people can hear um, what I'm hearing and I kind of wonder, I, I have a feeling my daughter has this gift as well, because for instance, last Halloween, we were in the kitchen cooking and my neighbor's husband had just passed away, literally like the day before. And I was making her some soup and I told her I'll bring it over at eight o'clock. Late o'clock came and went. I was running a little bit behind because I didn't have some key ingredients. I had to send my husband to the store. My daughter and I are standing in the kitchen and we all of a sudden hear three loud knocks on our front door. And we looked at each other because there was something weird about it. It didn't sound like, you know, a person knocking. I mean, it did, but it, there was something strange about it. I have three cats and two of them ran into the hallway and their hair was standing on end, which never happens. I went to the front door and I opened it and there was nobody there, but I could kind of feel my neighbor's husband saying, where's the soup already? You said you were going to get it to her by eight o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he just kind of never like, you know, he just kind of said what was on his mind when he was alive. And I don't think death had death didn't change that he was the same person in death. <laughs> and he was just like, hurry up and get a move on already. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> it All was right. actually pretty funny. It was freaky at the time, but it was kind of funny in retrospective. Yeah. I mean, that I, I think that would freak me out. <laughs> Definitely. All right, Amy, I really appreciate you joining us and giving me some of your time this evening. I wish you massive success with your book. And Thank you. And I wish you massive success with everything in your life. You too. Thank you. With your podcast and everything. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, thank you very much and have a great evening. All right. You too.